0: Good afternoon, folks. It's that time again. It's 1 p.m. Saturday here, and it's time for The Elephant in the Room here on WJAS 1320 AM and on 99.1 FM. Uh, I'm your host, Sam DeMarco, joined here by, as always, my trusty executive director, John Snyder. Man, a few words. You know what? <laughs> I'm telling you what, he even says less than Clint Eastwood did in those spaghetti westerns. But he's sitting over here chuckling, okay? We also got our producer, Dazzling Daryl Grandy. Daryl's giving us the thumbs up. He's got the clock and the watch. He's ready to go. And I can tell you we have a special guest in studio today with us, and that special guest is a good friend of mine, State Representative Jason Ortiz, State Representative for the 46th Legislative District here in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, Jason Welcome to the show.
1: Hey, it's great to be back again. And I don't know if I'm if I'm being awarded or punished yet. I haven't figured that out yet. But I, I love being here.
0: Hey, listen, it's a little bit of both. You know, a little bit of both depends on what questions John may come up with here, right? Yeah, you never
1: know. that's the thing. Anytime you go on a radio interview, you just never know what's coming your way. Well, exactly. Exactly.
0: And listen, we keep those things secret on purpose. You know what I mean? We we don't want you to be able to prepare. We want we want to hear the unvarnished truth.
1: Well, this sounds like Harrisburg. You know? I'll tell you that. Oh, wow. Well, <laughs> well, uh, I, I don't know how. To Take that, John! He's offending us, and the show hasn't even started, right? Oh my gosh! But hey,
0: Jason, it is a pleasure to have you here in the room, and I know you know Harrisburg has been in the news, and a lot of folks are questioning just exactly you know what's happening, right? So, if you want to give us a sort of a, a a brief update as to where we are today, that would be greatly appreciated. I'm sure our listeners would like to know.
1: Yeah. So in, in the House of Representatives, um, and we may have gone over this earlier this year, uh, beginning of January, on January third, we had swearing in day. Uh, Republicans had the, the majority of members. Uh, there were three special elections all held here in Allegheny County. We were waiting for those seats to be filled. Um, we felt that we should have been in the majority. Unfortunately, we didn't have the votes to elect a Republican speaker. So we opted to elect a Democrat who was supposed to turn independent. Well, that never happened. The uh, then Speaker, Razi, who has since resigned, and I'll get to that in here in a second, uh, had a tour around the state, a listening tour to listen about getting fair rules about how we should do statute of limitations uh, and, and what that looks like. And, you know, after this week, we've basically figured out that that was pretty much a waste of time because nothing really that was talked about during that rules tour is reflective in the rules that were ultimately mm-hmm. passed this week. So we'll fast forward to this week. Uh, Speaker Razi resigns on Tuesday. After last week, we did special session to pass the statute of limitations. No voter ID, by the way. Uh, Sent that over the Senate. Special session's never going to happen. So this week, uh, Speaker Rossi steps down. So it vacates the position. We put up uh, Representative Carl Metzger. Uh, They put up uh, Representative Joanna McClinton from Philadelphia. Uh, Democrats have the majority now, 102 to 100, because we have a member who had to step down because she ran and won a state Senate seat. Mm Um, so we didn't have the votes. Yeah, that's so. new
0: state Senator Culver.
1: Yeah. Yep. Uh, Linda's been a great colleague of mine since I've been in for the last eight years, so congratulations to her. She's a great addition to the Senate, um, but now we have uh, Speaker McClinton, who, um, you know, I think she came in in my class eight years ago, uh, who was the minority leader the last year. She took out Frank Dermody for that spot. We also have Carrie Del Rosso, who, uh, has since went on to, to bigger and better things, who mm-hmm. took out Frank Dermody after that, put it the, the finishing <laughs> touch. Uh, but here we sit, uh, House Republicans in the minority at 100 members. We have a new speaker, a new majority leader. Uh, and, you know, we're still struggling to get organized. They organized the Judiciary Committee uh, yesterday uh, on Wednesday, but we're still waiting to get committee assignments and figure out who the chairs are and – um Hopefully we'll be able to introduce Bill soon, but until that happens, we're still at a stall until we can get organized, which hopefully will be next week, uh, and next week will also bring us uh, Governor Shapiro's
0: first budget address. Well, listen, that's a lot for our folks to digest, and, but you know, one of the things I would say is very disappointed, very disappointed in Representative Rossi, okay? Uh, here's a guy that couldn't be trusted to follow through with the promises he made on the day he was elected Speaker back in January, and then you talked, you called it a listening tour. Really, folks, it's a, it's a stalling tour. You know, all it did was take and, uh, you know, fill up time so he could pretend to be doing something. You know, uh, he's out there taking and taking this tour. Meanwhile, the Senate had already passed Senate Bill 1 ad- addressing his statute of limitations, and that was sitting there waiting for the House to address, so i'm very disappointed in
1: that yeah and I, look I, i've been hesitant to talk since i've been part of the work group because I, I wanted to make sure that we were negotiating in good faith and and making sure that we got solid rules but uh, I, I guess this is as good as places i needed to kind of tell the story of how things went you know i was asked to be on this working rules group three democrats three republicans with the speaker um i, I had asked him when i amongst the first times that i had a private one-on-one with him and and then the, the parliamentarian and i said listen are you genuine about this because to me It just seems like this is a way to waste time until the three special elections Mm -hmm. happen and then, you know, Republicans no longer have a majority of members and they, you know, he assured me that, no, we're genuine in this. We want to have listening. We want to take it to the people. We want to get fair rules. And then all of a sudden we went from working on regular session rules, which I was promised to working on special session rules. And to me, special session didn't matter because the Senate was never going to go back into special session. So from that point on, I think it was about a three-week period that we did all these tours and had these meetings. You know, we, we sat there in special session. And we're like, you know, special session kind of meaningless. So, I mean, we essentially just let the Democrats have whatever they wanted for special session rules just so we could get through it, so we could right. get to regular session what really mattered. Uh, but unfortunately, that never came. And uh, I'm, I'm disappointed in the way that that played out because, listen, we went around the state. You had all these people who signed up to speak, a lot of them shared their stories, and very few things of that actually went into the regular session rules. So if the Democrats and the former speaker were really genuine in coming up with rules that worked across the entire state, you know, they put on a good show, I'll tell you that, but when you look at the rules at the end of the day that were ultimately passed— there's not a whole lot in there there's there's not a lot in there for minority rights there's the, the chairs still have just as much power as they did last session uh, the majority leader has the same the proportionality of these committees is 12 to nine with a, a basically a one seat majority the, the, the committees are now 12 to nine instead of like 12 11
0: is it, is it what was it under the last session
1: it was 15 to 10 but we had 113 members okay so the proportionality was there this is the right. most disproportionate amount for committee since 2008.
0: Yeah, they have a one seat majority here and they're trying to take it. And-
1: exactly. So they they say, oh, well, you know, you only need 10 votes to get a bill out of committee uh, with a neutral recommendation and that helps the minority. Well, it does. But the problem is, is you still need the majority chairman to call up the bill. If they don't call up the bill, it doesn't matter. Right. So look, I, I'm really disappointed in the rules. The sexual harassment part was also a disappointment because that was a big thing that we heard uh, out there. Um, and they did change some of it. So now that it's workplace, but still, I don't think that it really goes after what that specific lobbyist had had intended it to do. So we're, we're here, you know, it was it was even so bad that the prior resolution to the rules that we ultimately ended up passing made it so that we couldn't even file amendments to change the rules on the floor yesterday. Uh, so it to me, very disappointed. I, I think that Speaker Razi, former Speaker Razi, had a, a once in a lifetime opportunity to really take public feedback and put together fair rules that work for everybody and really break up this, you know, because, right, Harrisburg is broken. It is. It is. You know, everyone kind of retreats to their corners. And, you know, if you're in the majority, that's great. If you're not, you kind of get screwed on mm-hmm. uh, as Republicans. We find ourselves there now and hopefully to get back next year. Uh, We're going to need a lot of help on that. But, you know, I I really thought we had an opportunity here to change how things work.
0: Has there ever been a more insignificant speaker than Speaker Rossi, being that his tenure will be reflected in having nothing, nothing actually pass or become law?
1: You know, I I don't think that he cares. Um, You know, he he made that very apparent with his uh, farewell remarks on uh, Tuesday before right before he stepped down. Um, you know, I look, I, I've I've had Speaker uh, Torzai, I've had uh, Speaker Cutler in, in my tenure, I, I miss Speaker, Speaker Smith by by a term, um, you know, in, in my opinion, and I'm sure other people have different opinions, they ran the floor fairly, like whether you like the rules or not, uh, they were fair, you know, when a Republican raised an objection was out of line, they gaveled him down or called him up to the rostrum. Um, and the same with the Democrats, I thought that the fair the, the floor was fairly managed. And when you have one person who stops the entire organization of of a chamber like that—no bills can be introduced, no committees can be assigned, no work, no legislative work can be done for the first two months of the legislative session. I mean, that's ridiculous. Like I, I, I really thought that. Look, I was willing to give him the benefit of the doubt for the first month uh, while we worked on these rules. But once we got there, you know, we got to this point. I'm, I'm just—I can't even express how disappointed I am.
0: Well, and Jason, let's take our folks back so that they understand. Uh, he ran around telling the people of the Commonwealth about this issue that was extremely important to him, which was extending the statute of limitation to allow folks who as children were the victims of uh, child sexual abuse to be able to seek, um, you know, to, to change the statute of limitations so they would be able to seek redress in the courts. But the reason why this is even an issue today is because this was screwed up by former Governor Wolf in his uh, Department of State. Uh, it was two years ago. Was it 2018 where they failed to take in and, and, and explain to the folks
1: yeah, it was t- what they it was failed to do? 2021. Um, so what 2021. happened? Well, yeah, I'm pretty sure it was it was that. It was either 2021 or 2020.
0: Time flies. Yeah. Look,
1: for a constitutional amendment, it has to pass the legislature twice. Uh, in, in consecutive sessions, unchanged. Um, and we did that we did that twice so it was supposed to go on the ballot for a voter referendum um and there's advertising requirements the department of state is required to do it has to be advertised in so many newspapers and so many counties across the state Mm -hmm. and that cost about a million dollars so it's not cheap to do constitutional amendments Um, so they had forgot there was a there was a lapse someone dropped the ball in the wolf administration department of state they didn't advertise it as required by the constitution and look, there was an investigation into it. Uh, I think the inspector general did a full-fledged report. The Department of State looked at their policies and realized that they were pretty horrible. They didn't really have a written policy. Mm-hmm. It was kind of an unspoken thing. And But lo and behold, all, all the other constitutional amendments didn't have a problem getting advertised right, over right. the last few years. But that one did. So, I mean, the conspiracy theorists out there, I mean, look, I mean, they run wild because you can't get facts. So, you know, at the time I had introduced legislation to actually have a committee to go do this and it passed the House. Uh, unfortunately, we, we never really formed it, but we wanted to change how the way constitutional amendments were actually presented uh, and who handled it, because we didn't think that it was appropriate uh, for the, the executive branch to handle it when they don't have a say in it anyway, because right. it's a strictly legislative thing. It doesn't go to the governor for signature. It goes to them for implementation. Uh, so they screwed it up. I personally believe that they the, the, that somebody took the personal sacrifice who shouldn't have and lost their job over there. It should have been other people. But it was a screw-up, and it should have never happened. So it puts us back in the same situation. So last last session, we passed constitutional amendment for the third time, and now we're back this session. We need to pass it a fourth time so it can get on the ballot, to be properly advertised, and so the voters can actually weigh in on this. And that's why we're here. We need to get this done. It's not like Republicans are against this, and it's not like Democrats are the only ones supporting it. It, it passed with a plurality of Republican votes. Right. Um, so, look, I, I really think this this would have never happened if the Wolf administration had actually done their job, and that's well, why we're here.
0: Well, it did, and it cost Secretary of State Kathy Bachbar her job. She was the one, I think, that uh, that took the fall for this. She was the Secretary of State at the time, and they failed to do their job. So, folks, what, what you're hearing from, from Jason is that you know, this is the fault of the Democrats failing to do their job a few years ago that prevented this from being on the ballot back then to provide redress to these people. And this is why it's important, because I look at the media today and I see the media reporting things like, oh, balls in the Republicans' court, Republicans holding back, you know, these folks' ability to get uh, get redressed. And it's like, well, wait a minute. No, no, no. The Democrats screwed it up years ago. The Republicans addressed it at the beginning of January. Now that the Democrats come in and decide they want to do something different, now all of a sudden it's the Republicans' problem? I'm sorry. That's not the way the world works. Look, this is the fourth
1: legislative term. Almost every term that I've been in office, I voted for this, and I've supported it, and it's been Republican-led. It's Republican. It was Republican mm-hmm. majorities in both chambers. We want to get this done. The Senate did that this time. Look, they didn't go in a special session. They went in a regular session. They passed SB1. Yes, there's three constitutional amendments, and it's bundled together. Look, this is the process. This is how things work in Harrisburg. You negotiate, and then you try to find a compromise. Look, and I've had conversations with Senator Ward and Senator Pittman about this too. Look, at the end of the day, look, they passed it. statute of limitations is sitting here in the House. All, the Senate, all, the, all that the House Democrats have to do is pass the bill. Look, if they want to strip some stuff out there, then put up the votes to strip it out. If not, then you know, put up the votes for it. But don't sit there and say that the, the Senate the Senate Republicans or the House Republicans didn't do what they said they were going to do because we have, look, we supported it. What's the problem here? You, don't, you just don't like what, what it came back with or what they sent it over with.
0: Well, exactly. And then, and then this is the frustrating thing. So, you know, for folks who are listening to this, and Jason's doing an excellent job of describing what's been taking place in Harrisburg, some of this stuff may seem a little arcane to you, right? Because we're talking about roles and how things have to get passed through the various houses, or the very, you know, whether the, the House or the Senate and these sorts of things in Harrisburg. But really, folks, this is your legislature, you know, supposedly doing your business. And you have basically for three months, nothing occurred because they, the Democrats were wasting your time. So think about that for a
1: second. So for two months, we've really not done anything. We've not organized. So next week is our last session week. So it'll be, what, March 6th, March 7th. The governor will come in and give his budget address. Maybe we'll organize committees next week. But guess what? We're off for six weeks after that for budget hearings. And only three of them will be budget hearing weeks. So we're done. Honestly, we won't do anything of consequence in the House of Representatives as your state representatives in Harrisburg until May Four months, four right. months of this year. Can, is there any other job in your in your and out there where you cannot show up and do your job for four months and no. still get paid? And like no. it, it is completely ridiculous. And the fact that we've waited this long and it's taking this long to get organized, um, look, it is really slowing things down.
0: And, and, and you know, I, I, I mean, the people that are listening, our folks out to our listeners here, need to keep this all in mind next year in twenty twenty four. Okay, when you uh, you all stand for re election. Okay, yeah. because these folks, you know, the Democrats in the House, you know, whether it's Armin Venkat in House District 30 or uh, what's the uh, Mandy Steele in House District 33, you know, as well as some of these others, okay, they're going to have to explain why they didn't do anything while they were here. Because I can tell you, I can't envision anything really getting done—a budget, perhaps, that has to be done—but I can't imagine anything else taking place because Democrats yesterday unveiled their first major piece of legislation. They want to take and enshrine in the Pennsylvania Constitution the right to unrestricted abortion. Now, here's the disappointing part about this, right? Uh, They fought the Republicans a couple years ago when you guys were passed, just passed a bill that just said that the Constitution... Pennsylvania Constitution doesn't recognize that in there. Doesn't mean folks couldn't have access to it or any of that. It was just saying that it wasn't in the Constitution. Well, these folks, the Democrats, have just admitted it, that it's not in the Constitution, by putting up this proposed piece of legislation. And again, folks, it's unrestricted, okay? Let's talk about who the extremists are now very disappointing, Jason, to see that.
1: Right. I mean, look, Pennsylvania has the Abortion Control Act. It, it's in place whether a constitutional amendment passes or not. Um, and we passed that last, I think it was last July or, or June, uh, as part of a bundle. I think there were a bundle of five or six constitutional amendments all, all wrapped up together. But you're right. This is a this is a nationwide attempt for the yeah. Democrats to enshrine this in all their state constitutions.
0: But wait a minute. Let's, let's see that. So, so you, to repeat what you just said, you said that last year you passed that as part of a bundle of constitutional amendments so the democrats were fine with the abortion control act being passed last year in that bundle but now all of a sudden the bundle that has the statute of limitations voter id and the uh, bill bill of regulations to reduce the the amount of regulations or more appropriately give the legislator legislature a say over the regulations all of a sudden that's unconstitutional
1: yeah and that was part of the rules and look you know I don't take lightly amending the Constitution. Look, it's a sacred document. Mm-hmm. Look, it's, it should be used as an absolute last resort uh, to amend uh, and to adjust. Um, but unfortunately, when you, have, when you had Republican majorities in the House and Senate and you had a Democrat governor who's just completely unwilling to work with you, what choice did we have to get anything done? I mean, you try to build consensus with the other party, but at some point in time, you just don't have the votes to override any vetoes. Uh, And in order to get things done for the people of the Commonwealth, you just have to take every avenue possible. Uh, Look, I I would prefer if we've never had to amend the the state constitution and we could do everything by statute. But unfortunately, uh, sometimes you just get put into a corner where you don't have a choice. I mean, after after five, six, seven years of getting stonewalled, I mean, you've got to do something.
0: Well, I, I just don't understand. I fail to understand, you know, the Democrats resistance. To voter ID. I mean, this is something that actually is bipartisan. It has 75% approval with the public. And again, these constitutional amendments, this isn't a bill that gets passed whereas then it becomes law automatically. This is a bill that just says it goes on the ballot where the voters have a say in whether this becomes law or not, right? So they're saying that they don't trust you, the voters, to make a decision here. And you know, they for all the folks who tell me there's no voter fraud. You know we don't have voter fraud and things of that nature then then why are you so against look, simple voter id when when you get
1: into what voter id was and what's been proposed and what we've passed um legislatively in the past and what the governor has vetoed look at the look at how we've put out voter id it is basically any kind of identification that you could possibly have and we were requiring every county to reissue voter registration cards to everybody which would count as your voter id Oh, so there's like seven different things that you could bring to prove who you are. Mm-hmm. That's easy. And if you show up to vote, and let's say you don't bring your ID, guess what? There's an affidavit that you can sign while you're there and still vote saying that right. you are who you are. and
0: show it within like six days or a week yeah. after the election. So yeah.
1: nobody's going to get turned away from voting. I mean, people who, who vote by mail now already have to have some sort of ID because you have to put your driver's license number on there to yep. get it. Or the so, last
0: four digits of your Social Security.
1: Yeah, and nobody seemed to have a problem with that. So what's the problem in adding these in adding voter ID when you show up in person? I mean, look, these days it's mostly Republicans showing up to vote in person. Now There are some Democrats that do, so I don't want to paint just that picture. But the vast majority of people who vote by mail are Democrats. I mean, I think it's upwards of 80 percent statewide. It might be even higher in Allegheny County. But when you look at it from that point of view,
0: what's the problem? I mean, well, that's my question. I it, mean, and, It's and not folks, an onerous restriction. And, no, and, and folks, you know, in, in all honesty here, listen, you know, no party has cornered the market on hypocrisy, okay? You know, unfortunately, we have it, you know, sometimes in our party as well, right? But, but, I mean, we have to call it as we see it. And it's just very frustrating. I mean, if this is where the Democrats are coming out of the gate, you know, as you heard Representative Ortiz say that they want to staff the committees with a 12 to 9, you know, majority there. Uh to basically ensure that nothing, you know, that they don't want to get through can get through. And then they're going to try to blame the state Senate for holding up anything and, uh, you know, blocking any of the crazy stuff, as you can see, like with the their introduction yesterday of unrestricted abortion. Um, they, they have an agenda. And I'm confident that none of this is going to get through Pennsylvania state Senate. And I don't think that Governor Shapiro wants to see some of this stuff here because, I mean, he has higher ambitions. Everybody that knows him talks. He wants to be the president of the United States. You know, he won the election this past year, and now he wants to get some things done. Well, you're not going to get anything done if you don't have folks that can work together. And it's like the Democrats with a one-seat majority don't – they think that one seat is 10, and that's the way they're acting, and, you know, they're sorely mistaken. Well,
1: the thing is to look, they've been in the minority for the last 12 years. They're going to have to learn what it's like to be in the majority, um, with one seat and that's fine. But when you get to do things that are hard, like negotiate a budget, uh, amongst a Senate majority Republican, um, it, it reminds me of the Spider-Man meme where you have three Spider-Man all pointing at each other and saying, look, it's their fault. It's their fault. It's their." I mean, that's honestly what I expect this session to be because it's going to be hard to get anything done.
0: Oh yeah. Well, and I'll tell you what, uh, you you point out they're now they're in the majority okay so now they're going to be the ones responsible for getting things done they're going to have some problems I mean you have state representatives here in Allegheny County you know Representative Anita Anita Kulik out in the forty fifth legislative district okay Representative Nick Piscatano I believe is that thirty eight I think so the thirty eighth yeah. district right and these are folks that are seen by many to be more middle of the road you know as opposed to far left or extreme. But now, in order for the Democrats to get anything passed in their chamber that's extreme, these folks are going to be required to take positions on those issues. And where is that going to play out for those guys? And that's why in next year, when they I, stand for re-election? And, and that's that's
1: the big question out there: What kind of agenda can we expect from the, from the House Democrats? I, I honestly don't know. Uh, I'm very curious to see what, where they start and where they're going to go. If their rules are any indication, I think I have a pretty good idea. Um, but we'll see.
0: Oh my, yeah, it, it's sort. It's sort of crazy out there. Now, uh, you also sit on the Appropriations Committee, right?
1: I, I used to. I'm, I'm no longer on that. One. Oh well, we don't. Well, actually,
0: we don't know what committees. <laughs> yeah, we don't. don't sure, have, you're going to be on them, right?
1: We, we, you know, for for four years, I sat on the Appropriations Committee. I, I stepped off last year so I could focus on some other things, um, and now I'm just waiting to see what I get. I think we we may. We were told we might get three committees. We usually get four. Um, but I may end up with two, just just depending. I mean, I'm also, there's one more person ahead of me to be a chairman, so depending on how things play, I might end up being a chairman this year, too.
0: That's going to be, well, that's going to be interesting to see what the the Democrats choose to do here when they make these assignments, okay? Uh, In our next segment, I want to talk to you a little bit uh, after the break, I want to talk to you a little bit about what we expect to see, or what we're hearing rumors that we may see when Governor Shapiro unveils his budget. You know, one of the big things that we saw was a Commonwealth Court decision. You know, last month where uh, Judge Jubilee ruled that uh, the funding formula wasn't right for or wasn't appropriate here, that we needed to do something to fund our schools differently. But in that opinion, she didn't say how and didn't say you needed to give districts more money. She's leaving that up to the governor and the legislature to come to sort of some sort of decision. And I think you know the left who celebrated that you know, may come to rule the day because you had Governor Shapiro who ran, campaigned upon, you know, uh, providing more scholarships or, you know, for for students to allow these folks to have some degree of school choice. How far he's willing to go with that, you know, being basically owned by the teachers union. It remains to be seen, but it's going to be interesting.
1: Yeah, look, I focused a lot on education. I've got a lot of interesting things to say about this decision. Some things people are going to love and some are going to hate, but I'll tell you, this is one of the most interesting court opinions I have ever read in my life.
0: Well, (laughs) we're going to give you the opportunity to say what you want to say about that opinion in our next segment, okay? Uh, Folks, you know we're going to take a break here in a minute. Uh, This is Sam DeMarco, from the host of The Elephant in the Room, here on WJAS, 1320 AM and 99.1 FM. Folks, we'll be back right after the break. The midterm elections are in the rearview mirror, and now it's time to start finding great school board candidates for 2023. Convince the right candidates to run using the Get Elected app for easy-to-understand voter data and analysis, canvassing tools, and more. Visit getelected.org and show them the path to victory. Get elected. Campaign with confidence. All right, folks, welcome back. This is Sam DeMarco here on The Elephant in the Room. We're here with our special guest, uh, State Representative Jason Ortitai, State Representative in the 46th Legislative District. And Jason, we were talking in the last segment, you were talking about the recent education ruling by Pennsylvania's Commonwealth Court and that you had some things that you wanted to say about that. Now's your chance, my friend.
1: Oh, yeah. So, you know, we've been waiting for years for this court decision to come down. I mean, I, I think Speaker Torzai at the time uh, was one of the lead plaintiffs, I think, at some point, because as as the legislature, that the officers have to stand for that. So this, that gives you an idea how long this has been going on now. Um, you know, in our state constitution, we have what is called a thorough and efficient system of public education that is a constitutional right to the residents of Pennsylvania. So uh, a, a bunch of groups got together and they sued the state, saying that we don't like it's not an equal. Uh, it's not a real thorough, efficient, and it's not equal across the board for all the the schools across the the state. So, the court ruled that that was true, that it's not equal, uh, not thorough, um, and that it's up to the legislature for now. And I'll come back to that in a second because mm-hmm. I really want to touch upon that. That they had basically said like this is a once in a lifetime, this is like a cornerstone case, um, and they didn't feel that it was appropriate for the the court to step in and define what the Constitution means by that. They wanted to toss it back to the legislature and to the governor where they felt we had the expertise, the ability, and the knowledge to work this out and to meet that definition, to meet that criteria. So this is kind of my opinion is is that we now have the opportunity to define what that looks like. However, if we do nothing and we can't come to an agreement on that, I think the court's pretty clear in their opinion that they're reserving the right to say, listen, if you don't act on this, we will. And the last thing I think any of us want are the judges making legislation yet again. Look, they did that with our maps, our district maps, our congressional maps, where they just decide we're the legislature. That is not the case. The legislature makes the law. That's the bottom line. So my fear is that if we don't do this and we don't act as a legislature in a year or two you're gonna see the courts jump in and they're gonna they're gonna define what it is and they're gonna enact what a fair and equal uh education constitutional right looks like in pennsylvania so look I think there's a couple of different things here. You know, you, you had brought it up in the last segment that there were certain groups that were celebrating this decision. And I heard from certain groups that they're looking for an extra $4 billion more in education funding over the next four years. So they want a billion dollars more every year for the next four years in the Shapiro administration. And I will tell you, you know, over the last eight years, we've increased education funding by over $2 billion in a Republican led legislature. So let's be clear about this. Republicans have been leading the way in the state legislature in increasing education funding. And we are one of the highest funded school syst- public school systems in the country. I want to say that again. In the country, I think California might be one of the only states who spends more on average per student than we do here. But that's the thing. When you look at average, we have small school districts. We have big school districts. And you look at how we fund our schools here. A large portion of that is from local property taxes. Why? Because we're a local control state. Mm -hmm. And depending on where you live, that looks very different. Uh, and I was actually, I was at a school this morning, I was at Chartier's Houston, and I was comparing it to South Fayette. You have a 1A school versus a 5A school. The, the areas geographically are very different, even though they're very close. Um, and the property tax rates are very different, even though they're very close. And I always say the same thing, you know, the property tax rate in South A, it's three times what I pay in the Cannon Mack School District. Same house just a mile down the road. Right. And it's different. So every school district is different, but also every school district gets money from the state in the line item. We have the basic education funding line item. We have money for special education. There's money for testing. And in the last couple of years, the schools have been flushed with ESSER funds and COVID dollars. So they've had all this extra money. So let's take a look at some of the data over the last decade. You know, We have continually funded schools, added more money, more money, more money. Guess what, folks? The answer is not more money to our right. schools. We are not getting the returns for the money that we're putting in there. Look at our look at our literacy rates. Look at our math scores. Look at our science scores. In Pennsylvania, they are falling off a cliff. Oh right. Our testing scores, our PSSAs, all of these scores are all decreasing across the board, yet we're funding education at the highest level in our state history.
0: I'm so, looking at twenty twenty one numbers. And at that time, we're spending $19,000 per student. Yeah. That was the 2021 budget. And folks, while you're listening here, education funding from the state has increased 40% in the last decade, 40%. How much of that money is actually going to the classrooms? And that's a big question. You know, you folks, every year, every single year, Education funding from the state continues to increase, and you know at the local level, you know, education, your taxes keep going up, so the local share of funding is increasing, but how much is going to the classroom? And, so much is going to pensions, so much is going to and that's teacher salaries and things of this nature. Administrators, all of these things that are outside what actually benefits your child as a student.
1: Right. Look, and, and I'm happy to pay teachers. I'm happy to pay quality teachers. Mm-hmm. I want to support our teachers. Look, we need our teachers. They're, they're really important. Uh, the, the pension obligations have been killing us. You know, we have another line item, which is billions of dollars. We've met our actuarially required uh, Contribution. contributions. You know, every year that I've been in office for the last eight years, we have met that rate. And that my first year in office was the first time in history that Pennsylvania's met that. And and we're doing that. This year, you're going to see a little bit of a pause because the rate drops, but next year it goes back up. And we've been increasing that number, but you don't see that number in the education funding line item. It's a separate line item. So when you look at all of that, look... It's hard to tell how much money is actually getting to the student right now. But I think we need to take a different approach. And there's a bunch of different approaches that I am certainly open to. You know, I heard a couple of my colleagues, they said, you know, as Republicans, we should be celebrating this decision because to me, it sounds like an endorsement for school choice, Mm -hmm. school vouchers. When you look at it, you know, if you're going to make sure that every kid gets the same amount of money, you, you want equality across the board. That's really the only way to do it, because no matter what school district they're a part of, whatever they're. You know, if they're in the inner city, if they're in a rural school district or a suburban school district, if you give that kid the same money to go to a school of their choosing, then that's fair. That's on them. But if you're going to continue to have the same thing where it's local property tax, look, we all know it's different. Every school district is different in how they're funded locally versus their share from the state. That's what makes it so difficult. And I was recently appointed to the Basic Education Commission to come up with a new funding formula and I know that we're going to be looking at this stuff later in the year but you know it is almost impossible to create a formula when you're mixing local and state funds because the local and state funds are all over the map with their millage rates
0: I think you know when you look at this there's a lot of different ways to look at it right you know Republicans tend to look at things as equal opportunity we want people to have the same opportunity to be able to get an education Democrats they keep throwing around the term equity and they're looking for equal outcomes okay and really, what are they trying to do? Are they tra- they're trying to punish, because that's the only way you can look at this. When you have schools that are funded with a combination of state funding and local property taxes, okay? If you have a municipality that wants to fund their schools at a certain level, why are you forcing them not to spend that money when they care about the education of their kids? Not to say that people in these other districts don't, but, you know, the you, the state shouldn't be forced to make up to try to stay at the top level here. Like, for, I'll use, for example, let's use an upper St. Clair. You know, or a more affluent or North Allegheny, a more affluent school district. Okay. I mean, these folks, their taxes are relatively high, you know, but they have schools that are typically very high ranked, you know, in the state. So they do very well. Okay. So what are we saying? So a school such as Duquesne that we're supposed to fund them at the same level or total funding? No, you can't do that.
1: And a school like Duquesne is still getting funding from Hold Harmless from their like 1990s enrollment, which is 50% less than what they've had in in the past. I mean, it's nearly impossible to do it with a combination of property taxes in state. There's just no way to make it equal without doing something overarching.
0: And that's why funding needs, in my, my view, to what you just mentioned earlier, the answer is funding with school vouchers. If every student got a voucher for $19,000, okay, then that would solve this problem, right? Now, of course, they're still going to complain because a school with 1,000 students is going to have more money than a school with 500, okay? Right, but but th- you're funding them the same.
1: And, and, and that's the thing. So I I, I want to read a line from from the opinion because we were talking about equal opportunity to access and outcomes. And that is specifically mentioned in there. And then I'll read it verbatim here. It says, after review of the evidence presented regarding the inputs and outcomes of our education system, the petitioner districts, quote unquote, satisfied their burden of establishing the education clause was clearly, palpably, and plainly violated because of a failure to provide all students with access to a comprehensive, effective, and contemporary system of public education that will give them a meaningful... Meaningful opportunity, meaningful opportunity to succeed academically, socially, and civically, end quote. That's the thing, giving them the equal opportunity to have the same education. There's nothing in there about outcomes. Now look, we all have a vested interest in outcomes because look, we wanna put kids through our education system who can come out of school and be employable, productive members of society. That's what we want, especially for the jobs that we have in our area because that's important. And that's one of the reasons why we continually lose population to other states is because we're putting kids through and we're not giving them the opportunity to really get exposed or to get into the career fields of companies and jobs that are hiring. Mm -hmm. like. That makes no sense to me. So we need to realign what we're doing, and I think this is the perfect opportunity. You know, I said there's a couple of different ways to do that. The funding aspect of it is one thing, all right. But everyone needs to have the opportunity, the equal opportunity to see what's out there for them. I mean, these. I look at my education. You look at some of the other kids. They don't. They don't know what's out there. They're not exposed to different career fields. They don't give the. They don't get the opportunity to go through different career pathways before they even get the chance to go to college or even look at going to college. And in some cases, we can, we can put programs in these high schools, in these middle schools, that sets them up for certifications and micro-credentials and other credentials that set them up for a family-sustaining job upon high school graduation, where they don't even need to go to college. Mm-hmm. I mean, we have missed the boat on this in the education world for the better part of this decade. Um, heck, even part of, even all of 2000, like we we are in a position, uniquely positioned. This is why I get so excited and passionate about this is everyone wants to talk about funding. Funding is great. I love it, whatever. But to me, the more important, the important part is, is what are you going to do with that money? How are you going to make it work so it works in the year in 2023 and beyond? Because if we aren't addressing what the problems are in these school districts and how we're teaching these kids, what we're teaching these kids and giving them the ability to, find their dreams and the things that they love to do later in life, then we're doing these kids a huge disservice and we're wasting this money. We really, really need to take advantage of this. Well,
0: you hit the nail on the head. You talked about what are we getting out of this, okay? In business, we talk about return on investment. We have no problem spending money on a particular project or initiative, you know, because you're looking at what's the return going to be. And right now, the return on the money we're spending on education is not there based upon the test scores and the things that we're seeing. So we obviously have to do something different. Now, that's not to say there's not some fine schools in this Commonwealth, and there's not some very, very good teachers in this Commonwealth. We're not saying that we're saying that all schools aren't living up to that standard, okay? And while they struggle to figure out what they can do to improve the quality of education there, we have students that are being left behind because they're not being trained. They're not getting, they're not being taught to read or to write or to do math at grade level. And here these folks are gonna be coming out into life without the ability to make a living.
1: And that's the important part is is the state has not been clear about what is important and what the priorities are. So how could the school districts have that in order? I mean, it it has to be a nightmare for them. So look, I'm a little sympathetic to them as well, but I'll go back on this big thing. Look, anyone who knows me in my district knows that I am a huge, huge early literacy advocate. I've been working on trying to figure out how we can better teach kids how to read the different approaches, the methods out there that are data-driven. Look, 50% of our prison population in PA can't read or they're dyslexic they have some kind of reading disorder why why can't we teach our kids how to read so last year again republican-led initiative you know we introduced and put in the science of reading in the state of pennsylvania now right now it's strictly voluntary any school district can do it if they want we're setting up the model curriculum for everybody but i'm working on phase two phase two funds this and this is this is where we get into if you want to put more money into schools tell me what it's for let's take the scalpel approach instead of just throwing money into the air I'm willing to invest millions of dollars to do training and resources and books and curriculum for these schools to teach kids how to read because we have data that clearly states if kids can't read by the end of third grade, they are done. Their chances of getting a productive career, avoiding prison, enjoying the benefits of, of a good academic and a good life are very small. I mean, it falls off a cliff why aren't we doing these things? And there's things that we can do better in math. Like we have such a huge opportunity here. We can't blow it. And this is, look, there are definitely partisan takes on this. There's partisan sides to this. But can we all agree that putting together a really good form of education and a really solid, fantastic education system in the state of Pennsylvania is a nonpartisan issue? Can, can we get there? Because right now it feels like we can't But we all want our kids to succeed. We all want our state to succeed.
0: When I was doing an analysis for a school choice group a number of years ago, and I'll pull numbers back from like 2015, you know, Pennsylvania was spending, you know, almost $50,000 an inmate, you know, in our prison system. And when you looked at the inmates that we have, the majority of them were not able to do math or reading, you know, even at a fifth grade level. Okay. So this is a real concern and something that, you know, we we look at. We talk about investing in our children, but we're not demanding results from that investment. And that's what's extremely frustrating. To your point, no one has a problem. I mean, uh, you know, I don't have, uh, my my daughter is 44 years old. So I, you know, I don't have anyone in school right now. We're still paying the school taxes. But you know what? That's the way the system works. You understand it. But I'd feel much better about writing that check for that, you know, obscene amount of property taxes. (laughs) each year if I felt the education being delivered, you know, was actually helping people.
1: You know, I, I wanna say this because you know, I, I know sometimes we, we're a little harsh on the school. So but I would tell you there's one school system in particular who's really doing great and I, I will say that, you know, South Fayette's following right behind them, West Allegheny you know, and and I know that's kind of in our backyard, but West Allegheny is really putting their money up where their mouth is on career pathways and like really giving kids a fair shake. Now we can talk about reading and math. And I think that's something the state really needs to invest in to help these school districts with. And that's important. But I I will tell you some of the most innovative stuff I have seen is coming out of West Allegheny and South Fayette school districts. And I'm sure there's other ones out there just because I don't see them. Obviously, I represent South Fayette and I have a small portion of West Allegheny. Uh, And maybe I'm a little biased, but look, they're doing some phenomenal things. And if every school district could kind of emulate and copy that i think i think the schools would be way better off but that goes back to some of the funding that we're talking about here and partnering up in the community like use those assets look at all the businesses we have in this area here mm-hmm. particularly in the south and the west hills i mean these people are starved for employees. I mean, right. I was I was just at Rosedale Tech a few weeks ago, mm-hmm. and they are partnering up with um, Number One Cochrane to open the basically partner up on a school because they can't find enough auto mechanics.
0: Yeah, Rosedale they have great leadership down there with Dennis Wilkie. He's doing a heck of a job. It's
1: phenomenal you know? what they're doing. But those yep. are the types of partnerships that should be formed in our high schools. And then if they want to carry over to those schools, that's that's great. But like we're behind the eight ball. We got a we got a long way to go. We got to play some catch up here.
0: I appreciate the shout out for West Day. You know, uh, in North Fayette, our students go to West Allegheny as well. I'm going to have to pass along that kudos to the members of the school board that I know. Many of them are up for uh, re-election this year. And maybe your uh, uh, testimonial, so to speak, will go a long way in helping these folks. <laughs> but no, listen, I, you know, it, it's crazy. I try to tell people, why am I, you know, invested here in, you know, local office, right? And uh, and, and you and I have had conversations. We've been friends. and worked together with us for years, but it's because when you can make a difference in somebody's life, there is no better feeling in the world, right? And that's why we do this every single day. And so, you know, I, for one, want to thank you for the job you're doing in Harrisburg on behalf of these kids, on behalf of all of your constituents, right? And, and, and all we want is a better community. So the most frustrating thing for us is to see people's hard-earned tax dollars, you know, wasted and not used properly. So thanks for recognizing a few of the entities out there that are using this money wisely, that are delivering a return on investment for the money they're receiving.
1: I mean, look, and and that's the thing is, is we need to encourage innovation. And these schools that take these chances and they create these opportunities for these kids, we should be rewarding them, not punishing them or or, or throwing them out there. So, and look, and I've been this way throughout my entire career, and you know this, when I see somebody doing a good job, whether I agree with them politically or not, I'm going to say, hey, great job, you know, because we should all be striving towards that. And I think, you know, In general, Republicans get a bad rap that we don't have any emotion and that we're basically emotionless robots. That couldn't be further from the truth. I will tell you some of the most meaningful work that I've done in the legislature is about all that feeling and helping kids and helping families. And, you know, the stuff that I do more than I do in Harrisburg is the local stuff, you know, helping families and helping kids. you know, just trying to be there, you know, showing up for them. And like that stuff matters to them. It matters to, to me. That's the more important job than actually passing a piece of legislation.
0: Oh, yeah. Well, not, hey, listen, I also want to pass along kudos to you because not only are you out there trying to protect the, com- the children of the Commonwealth, and particularly your constituents, but you're also protecting the constituents themselves. I mean, you together with Senator Robinson led the fight against Governor Wolf's plan to toll the bridge over I-79 there down in South Fayette. I mean, that would have been disastrous. You know, PennDOT just rolled that out, surprised everybody, acted like it was a done deal. And you're holding the press conference down there initially and bringing attention to it and your continued efforts along with Senator Robinson's helped defeat that and couldn't be happier or more proud of the work you guys
1: look and it's things like that that are just so blatantly unfair that we look i will always stand up for the the side of fair and, and right you can you can count on that but i saw that as just a that was gross it was disgusting what they did there you know i'm glad we had great public support because honestly you know at the end of the day i can stand up and scream all i want but if i don't feel like i have people behind me that are gonna really you know support me on that then what am i doing Right. I mean, I, I don't know how many interviews I did and how many press conferences we had, how many conversations I had. You know, Senator Robinson and I showed up at the actual hearing that they had here in Pittsburgh yep. on that. Uh, and I think that surprised the judges because they know they they basically said, hey, you know, good to see the legislature here. Right. So when you look at stuff and you see stuff, and that's just one example. I mean, I could probably give you a hundred things that we've done, like myself and Senator Robinson, particularly in Oakdale, like the flooding that those poor people get. Oh my
0: gosh, look, yes.
1: We have been involved in that. We've gotten state money, local money. We've gotten people, we, you know, we worked with the Operating engineers who volunteered their time, uh, Black Dog Equipment who donated their, their equipment for that, like thousands of, tens of thousands of dollars to help. Like, you know, yeah, we did a press release, but nobody knows about that outside of nope. Oakdale. Like, we work on that stuff all the time <clears throat> to make sure people are safe and taken care of. And, you know, and myself and, you know. Well,
0: I remember I'm, you and I talking about, because you reached out to the county for drones. Yeah. For helping drones to be able to, Taken, uh, surveil the creeks so that we can understand where the blockages were to direct the resources. And that's to the thing. To clear is, this stuff. We
1: need to be creative. No one knows, right. Yep. Yeah. We need, like, look, so, some of this stuff we dependent upon the feds. You know, when we look at dredging, anytime we say dredging, it's like, you know, it's a bad word. But sometimes you need to get creative as a legislator and say, listen, I need to help my people and I'm willing to do anything to make that happen. So, you know, reach out to Sam and say, Sam, hey, any way you can, you know, and you actually had a really good idea, I thought, was that our uh, the county emergency people need to log so much flight time. Right,
0: exactly. It gave them the ability to train yeah. at the same time they were able to help. I mean yep. it's a
1: perfect opportunity for that, yep. and you know I, I know we're probably we may have to work on that again in the near future, but you know it's solutions like that where we have conversations that nobody knows about.
0: Well, I know somebody you can call. Yeah, yeah, you you have his number, <laughs> you know. Oh my gosh. Well, listen, Jason. Well, we have some time remaining here. I'd like to talk to you about, tell our listeners how they can help you, you know, because what happens is so many times, you know, it's only during when you're up for election, standing for election, do folks like actually get involved. And then usually they're complaining about the one thing you did that they don't like, okay? Well, now we've had a change in in, in the majority here in Harrisburg. There's some things that you believe are very important that you want to get past or move forward, and and there's opportunities here with the education to be able to potentially sway the legislature to do something to provide a solution so that it doesn't fall back in the courts. What would you recommend the people that care about any of these issues, okay, what do you think is an effective means for them or method for them to reach out to try to let their legislators know have a difference?
1: This is a great question. And I, and, I, and I get a lot. I actually get asked to speak about this to, to different groups that are out there. But look, the best thing you can do is have a face to face meeting with your legislator. I don't want to speak for all of them, but I'm pretty sure that every one of my neighbors, particularly in Allegheny and Washington County, if you call their office and ask for a meeting, you'll get one. Mm-hmm. don't be a keyboard warrior. Like the emails are nice. Don't get me wrong. We all love, the appreciate the email. We love the phone calls, but that face-to-face in-person meeting is where you really, that's where you look, that's where you're going to get your connection from. Right. You know, I can see in your eyes that you're serious, you're genuine. You know, we get a lot of, you know, we get a lot of complaints. We get a lot oh, of people yeah. behind the scenes telling us how horrible we are sometimes, but you know, you drown that out.
0: I call it fan mail. Yeah, I love I that saying, stuff. I, I get it too.
1: I, look, it used to bother <clears throat> me, but I, I've got pretty thick skin now. Yeah. Look, I, I look at I use it as motivation. Oh, so. And I'm like, well, I must be living rent-free in that person's that, head. And
0: that's exactly the way I look at it. I yeah, like, I laugh.
1: Yeah. Like, honestly, I, just, I, I turn it into motivation. It doesn't bother me anymore. And honestly, when I feel like I've kind of lost myself or I need to get motivated again, I go back and I read the comments. And I said, yeah. that's why yeah. I do this. This is what drives me. But that face-to-face meeting is important. And I'll tell you too, a lot of us legislators, we hold... Like town halls, meet and greets. Mm-hmm. We have constituent events. We're out there. Please come to those. Because when I'm looking to build like a legislative agenda and see what's important, I want to hear from you. Right. I'm, I represent 66,000 people. I can assume maybe what you want, but until you tell me and I hear from you what that is, it's very difficult for me. I mean, I'm happy to guess, but I want to hear from you. I don't spend hours and weeks and days, you know, out of my own personal life to set up these events for nobody to show up. And I'll tell you, it was a little disheartening a couple of years ago, right before COVID, I set up, I did town halls. I was going to do town halls mm-hmm. in every one of my municipalities. I had 14 municipalities at the time. And I did. I set it up. We sent mailers out. We did everything. And, you know, I did these town halls. And the most people I got to show up for one event was eight people. Wow. It's not that people don't care, which I'm finding out is they just don't have the time to engage. But I'm telling you, if there's an issue out there that's important to you, please make time.
0: Well, I think that tells you something that you must be doing something right as well. Because, you know, if people are unhappy with something, if people are fine with things, but then it's not important to them. But if they're unhappy, they're going to get up off their couch and come tell you about it. So the fact that you only had eight people show up at the most populated town hall there it's an indication of how well you're doing your job.
1: And, and I look, I found them all public. Or they, they were all very, very positive. And it's good. It's good to meet people. And then you build, again, you build these personal connections. Again, you talk about, you know, that the general stereotype is Republicans are these feelingless people. And I assure you, they're not. Like, we want to have that bond. We want to have that connection. And, I, and I'll tell you, you know, during COVID, it was really hard. I felt so disconnected from the community because I couldn't be around people, couldn't see people, couldn't hold events, um, the stuff that we normally did, you know, our veterans appreciation event, you know, we get usually get over 200 people to show up, 200 veterans. You know, we couldn't do that this time. Right. So we ended up delivering food to them. And while it was nice, I could only be in so many places at a time trying to make 100 stops in, in a couple of days. Is, it's impossible. So you kind of miss out on that stuff. But, you know, we care. Uh, all of us do we we all care about the well-being be- well of our of our constituents no matter if you're a republican democrat independent we all care about how you feel and mm-hmm. even if you like and i love the people who disagree with me but can do it respectfully because then we can have a conversation and i think today that is the one thing that is lost that people think that oh my god you're not 100% in agreement with me you must be evil no no this is where we have conversations mm-hmm. this is where i think you know, this is where things have changed. My first got elected, we had dinners in Harrisburg, but they were Republican and Democrat. I mean, I remember guys sitting there having dinner at an Italian restaurant, sitting there singing together. It was, it was, so, it was so good. Uh, and now it's like everyone kind of goes to their corners, but I, I'll tell you what, some of the most productive things I've had have been with people who disagree with me, but it's good to see the other side. And I think we need to get back to that.
0: Well, let's hope that we do, and let's hope that we do soon. Folks, Jason, this hour has just flown by. I want to tell you what a pleasure it's been To have you joining us here, and I hope you'll consider coming back. We you have an open invitation whenever you're in town to join us. We learn so much, you know, when you come before us and talk to us about what's happening in Harrisburg and the issues. So, you know, again, uh thank you so much for joining us today. I know that we all appreciate it. And folks, that's it until next week. This is Sam DeMarco signing off from the elephant in the room on WJAS 1320 AM.